Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet. Where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine. To become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Erin O'Dowd. Hello and welcome. On today's show, our guest is Daniel Mangia. He is an author, public speaker, motivator. Hello and welcome to the show, Dan. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you very much for having me. You sound like you have a, an English accent. Where are you from? I'm from East London originally. Did you study your education? I actually only did a year of university. Um, I took a, a one-year break in 2002 and just haven't been back yet so i did do some more with the open university which is a distance learning option and i actually have it on my cards to to finish my degree with open university next year what's the degree uh politics philosophy and economics wow that's a mouthful <laughs> yeah, a mouthful and a brainful as well i can assure you and is that your your passion and background it's not my passion but um i'm a firm believer in um, squashing the energy of incompleteness and so even though i don't need the degree i haven't needed it for you know well over a decade i do want to just close that chapter and, and get that done just for the for, for personal reasons why did you take a year out? I took a year out to go and start a business, actually, um, which went spectacularly wrong. But then I, I just ended up continuing to work for myself and uh, never ended up getting back to, to university. As I said, I did actually do some more work on the degree with the Open University. I think it was about 2009 to 2010. But then again, more things, important things in life kind of took over. And here I am now, sort of things are settling in a bit more. I'm really clear on my purpose and what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis and space is opening up for me to dedicate some energy to doing that completion and doing it to a quality that I'd be happy with. It must have took you a lot of work to get to this stage. <laughs> yeah, it did. A lot of work, a lot of pain, a lot of tears, but I love my life. I get to wake up and help people every day. I'm joyful about what I get to do. And so I, I, I would do it all again if I got to come to, to where I am right now. To, to get from taking the year out to now, you, you probably had met a lot of therapists, did a lot of things. Tell us about how you kind of kind of wiggled around life to get to the motivation speaker, the public speaker, um, an author, etc. For me, it was a brush with suicide that I had back in 2008. Um, things got really, really bad at one point. And on the way out of that, I began to put together the foundations for the transformational tool that I coach and speak on and also write on now, which is Beyond Intention. And I seriously do attribute about 90% of everything to that. Even those other things in my life that did support, I had an amazing cognitive behavioral therapist who also diagnosed my Asperger's when I was 27 and supported me in that transition. I've had some amazing teachers over the last 15 years. It's all been great, but definitely the self-empowerment that I get from Beyond Intention, the responsibility and also the tool to move through life very deliberately in alignment with my purpose and my intended outcomes definitely has been what's, what's got me through. What made you attempt to do a suicide? I'd lost everything. Um, life had come to a complete and utter brick wall but in a spectacularly ugly fashion and in a way where I'd actually done everything right and yet everything had still gone completely wrong. I reached a point where I'd wondered if even my strict religious upbringing, you know, maybe God was punishing me and I just didn't really see any point in moving forward with, with anything. Uh, I didn't see that I was going to be able to dig myself out of the hole that I'd found myself in at the time. And 
that utter despair. I did some work for the, with the Samaritans for a couple of years. And there was times when we spoke to people who had hit the question of, of taking their own life, and some did and some didn't. And the crazy thing is when you're a Samaritan, it's not convincing people either way. It's just giving them the opportunity to have some space to talk it through and see if it's really what they want to do. A lot of the time, it's just hopelessness, you know, just thinking there's no point going forward. And that's, for me, I think that's kind of the vein that I was on. It was a bit, I was a bit, I felt like a burden. Um, I wasn't adding, I was just taking away. Uh, and that the world had been better off without me is how I basically felt at the time. With being hopelessness, and it's something you, you talk about in your, your videos, if you could put yourself in the, the, the concept that you speak about, do you feel that it kind of projected you to change the, the area you are and become, as you say, we all say, our teacher is who we are. Do you think that uh, helped you become a better teacher in what you do? I think my authenticity and the fact that I live what I teach is what makes me a good quote-unquote teacher. In my role as a coach, I see myself as basically working to bring the best out of my clients. And that requires them showing up, yes. But if they are ready to show up, then I will pull the best out of them. But I'm doing it because everything that I'm showing them is from the life that I live every day myself. Oftentimes, the work that I do with my clients ends up being a reflection of what's going on for me. I'm always very, very vulnerable and very open about my own challenges and my own humanity constantly. And I find that the fact that I can look at myself and honor and accept in its fullness, even including the shadows myself, that better enables me to deal with a client with a level of, um, of connectivity that's grounded in true experience and true understanding of what they're going through, their challenges, but also the hope that they do have to actually start living life on their terms and getting through whatever challenge is holding them back at the moment. So you, you hit rock bottom. What was your hope to get back up? Actually, I accidentally overanalyzed myself out of suicide. I didn't have anything that I thought would be sure enough to get the job done. And I didn't want to fail at something else. And so, because because I, I didn't have a surefire way of getting the job done, and I, I didn't want to be seen as someone that attempted to kill themselves and, and maybe people think that I'm a, an attention seeker, I, I basically said to myself, okay, the only way I'm going to be able to do this is if I personally find out and achieve the goal of learning how to do it and then the whole idea of self-autonomy sort of settled in and without me realizing it over time my hope kind of came in the form of me recognizing that i'm the common denominator not only in this experience but every experience i've ever had and so even though my external circumstances may appear to be a certain way there's a common thread through all of them which is me which i do have the power to affect change in and so i can actually take back control of my life remove this hopelessness that I found myself in because I as a common denominator do have the power to change myself and Beyond Intention was born from that and by the time I had started to see more foundations to Beyond Intention I'd reached a point where I understood that I can't keep blaming other people I can't even you know say that God's punishing me I can't sit in this hopelessness honestly you know with integrity I can't sit there and so it's time for me to knuckle down and do the work of actually doing the work on myself. And that's what I did over the, 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 the next 10 years. It's interesting how, as humans, we fall into this trap of, of what you just described, which is, which is kind of an aspect of, you know, human and its, and its pureness. So in the space of 10 years, you kind of got to be naked yourself and kind of understand uh, where to go and grow. Tell us how you, you got back from zero to this amazing motivational and public speaker. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's been 10 years, hours of 
coaching, hours of therapy, hours of deep work, well over 500 books. Uh, I calculated the other day, I spent over 100,000 on courses, coaching and and, and personal work with, with, with different people and, and different programs and stuff. It's a, just a lot of work. <laughs> Showing up every day, knowing that I, I want to make myself just a little bit better. Uh, and I was just doing it for me for, for a very long time. My working with others on a, in a public sphere has only really been since earlier this year. Uh, I definitely attribute a big chunk of my leaps forward to, to meditation and spiritual practice. I practice Kundalini Yoga. And I, I practice meditation. I've been studying the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza since last year, which was a real big transformative um, step forward for me. But yeah, it's literally just been showing up every day saying, do I want to be the same person as yesterday or do I want to be a bit better? And in those days when I don't feel like it, I mean, the black dog still follows me sometimes. Um, in my my book that I'm working on to to release in, in January, I speak about, you know, sort of talking about sort of being stuck in bed and not wanting to get out and the darkness starting to try and surround me. And people might think that I'm referring back to sort of 10, 11 years ago when I had the dark time. But no, this was this was in recent times. But even when those days come, I honor the fact that, okay, right, Dan, we're, we're feeling a bit dark, we're feeling a bit low. We're not really feeling that great today. Where does it come from? Because I've spent so much time learning the language of myself, really getting to understand how I speak to me, I can have a conversation in a manner and language that my body and, and mind understands. And from that conversation, actually get to the true reason why I'm feeling like that. And when I have the reason why I'm feeling like that, then I have a, an actual current location. And when we've got a current location and a decided destination, then we can plot an accurate route, an accurate map. And that's what I do every day. Is it important to know that the language or code that we speak to each other? Like to, to myself, like, like I would speak to myself on a particular day and every day, but is there a, a code or language of way people can automatically switch the switch on or off when they have a bad day or a good day? I think one of the things I would really encourage people to do is not to see it as switching on or off a good day or bad day. It's to recognize that even a bad day is ephemeral and doesn't have to remain. And that moment to moment, we have the opportunity to almost, uh, I call it timeline switching, like jump timelines to a new timeline that doesn't involve those thoughts and feelings. Because the reality of it is, is that the only thing that really exists in terms of time is the present moment. Linear time is an illusion in real terms, because once a moment is passed, it's gone. All that you're living in then is the memory of that moment. And the future has not been decided yet and effectively only comes to life on the back of what we decide to do here in the present moment. So anything that we would be fearful of and anxious about in, in terms of the future, we have the power to affect now through the choices we make in the present moment. And although we have no ability to change the past, we can transmute the energy that we have around the past so that it doesn't have to infect our present moment and therefore um, effect our ability to be more effective in, in the future. And so instead of trying to you know, switch off a bad day, understand where the root of that bad day is. What choices have you made to bring you to the point where you have now reached a present moment based on past choices of a bad day? Is it something that you've done? Is it something that's in your environment? I mean, the people, places and things that are in our environment are still our choice about whether we have them there. Some choices are more difficult than others and some choices are more painful than others, but it's still our choice about what's in the environment. So curating the environment, but mo most importantly, getting super duper clear with the future that we do want because the reason why a lot of us are sitting in these bad days is because we've been running on an autopilot that's not serving us and is producing outcomes in alignment with our current bad day but if we take that 
fact. We reflect on what we have been producing in terms of the inputs into ourselves that produce those outcomes. Then we can shift what's happening in going forward. We can't do anything about what's happened in the past, but we can, in this moment, make a firm decision to actually shift what shows up for us going forward. And that's one of the things that um, I teach about in, in Beyond Intention. So getting clear on what the outcome is and having the tools to effectively manoeuvre through those present moments that sometimes are bad and sometimes are good, but all the time have within them the gift of choice and through that choice, uh, the ability to create an outcome that we actually want. You mentioned about autonomy. Are we actually walking in like day to day without thinking and how can we turn that off to be consciously aware of the moment? Dr. Bruce Lipton says that as much as 95, I think it's 95% of our waking day is spent running on our subconscious mind, which is cool because the subconscious mind is there for, you know, it plays a role. It makes a heartbeat. We don't think about breathing. We don't remember how to walk every time we, we go to take a step. Those of us that drive, we normally drive quite on instinct after that skill has been learned. That's all based on the fact that the subconscious mind is doing its job. The challenge is, is that as much as 70% of that subconscious program that we're running on is fed to us and hasn't been chosen deliberately. And a lot of that happens, I think, is between the age of two and seven, they say that we take that in by osmosis of our environment. So everything that we're really experiencing as a day-to-day life now, 95% of that is running on a program, 70% of which we didn't select. And a good chunk of that, or at least the foundations of that, were fed to us as children. And so we're running through our adult life on the back of programs that have been given to us that we had no say in, really, and that are so deep-rooted that oftentimes it's the work required to uproot and replace those we just aren't prepared to do. When you say programs, what do you mean? So programs, I mean the autopilots that we run on, the patterns, the mental patterns that we run on, um, our belief systems, our behavioral patterns, all of those things that make up the, the way that we operate through the world without thinking. That could be an example of like, I get up and brush my teeth and get breakfast and go out to work. Would that be a pattern of autonomy? More so I would say the belief systems about what you're doing as you make those steps. When you are getting up in the morning, what are your thoughts and feelings about um, how your day is going to turn up? Do you wake up and say, oh God, not another day? Or do you wake up and automatically assume a certain thing about people, places and things in your environment? Do you have beliefs about what you expect is possible for you that day? Are you going to work in a job because you believe that that's the only way that you are capable or worthy of earning your keep? Are you working in a job because you've been told that that's all that you're allowed or that that's all you're worthy of or that's all you're capable of? These deep-rooted things are what I'm more alluding to. Yes, getting up and automatically going to go and get the coffee and jump in the shower without really thinking about it is one thing. But more so, my quote-unquote concern is with the deep-rooted belief systems behind why we do those things. Where does emotion and feeling sit in all this? Well, they say that emotions are energy in motion and our feelings are based on our response to what shows up in our environment. But our feelings really come from the stories that we have about that. So two people look at a glass, one says it's half full, one's half empty. We call one a pessimist and one an optimist. Both of them are seeing the exact same situation but have different feelings about it. The lens of our belief systems is what creates our story or the narrative that we have about this, the event. Is belief the, the trigger or the, the cause that combines all these together? I think probably the, the most the most powerful description I've ever seen, heard about that was again by uh, one of my teachers, Dr. Joe Dispenza, where he said that we are a projector um, and our life is showing up on the wall, but our belief systems are the lens that sits in front of the projector. If we have a red lens on, then we'll have a red picture. If we have a blue lens on, we'll have a blue picture. So our belief, our belief systems frame how we see our experiences as we go through life. That's a cool analogy. 
And when you when you read and hear something like that, where does it sit in your mind? Do you have to kind of walk away and come back and read it again, or is it just automatically clicked into your, your hard drive of your subconscious? Well, I'm open to it, and what we're able to accept and start integrating into our experience depends on what we're open to accepting and integrating into our experience. If something comes up that we just don't have an openness to, we're not going to be able to integrate it. I did a podcast um, with a woman who I now work with on therapy called Rajuri Brand on something called resonance repatterning. And what resonance repatterning does is it, en- it enables us to get a true energy or frequency attachment to a word. So, for example, I can look at someone and say, I love you. I can look at them and say, I hate you. Those words in and of themselves don't mean anything. It's the energy that's behind it. And the energy that's behind it allows us to attach to whether we receive it truthfully or not. And so when I hear these words, for example, Dr. Joe's description of what the belief system is, because I'm open to it, I'm able to have a a resonance with the frequency associated with those words and therefore accept it. And that's why sometimes people say things to us and we don't believe it. We don't believe it and can't accept it because we don't have a resonance with the words and their meaning. Wow, it just shows you how important energy is. Yes, very, very important. I mean, they say that it's night that the scientists have done the measurement. It's just 99.999% of everything that we consider to be physical matter actually is just energy. So when you go to atoms and go down to the electrons and neutrons or whatever it is that those atoms are made of, it's all empty space. That empty space is actually energy. So we are energy beings in an energy reality. So energy really is everything. Yeah, and it just shows you it can affect us a good way or a bad way, depending how it sits. Yeah. Um, and... When you know this and you walk into a building, is there a, a particular, like, you comb the energy or just walk in and walk out and just let it sit or what do you do? This all comes down to your beliefs. At the end of the day, the really crazy thing about the brain is that the brain enables us to shape how we experience reality based on our belief systems about reality. So. If I go into a into a building believing that there may or may not be bad energy, then I'm open to the possibility that there may or may not be bad energy. If I go into a building and actually go in there with the belief that regardless of the energy in the, in the building, it can't affect me, then I don't need to get that emotional about it because my belief system, as in my true belief, what I'm actually resonating with as a belief, means that I will not be able to be affected by the energy in the building. So I've got an intention that I use, which is I'm manifesting only that which is my highest and greatest good. And that really enables me to move life without fear because I'm not looking for the bad. I'm expecting that everything's for my benefit. So even if there was a quote unquote bad energy in a building, it wouldn't be um, to my detriment. It would be to my benefit in some way. Okay. So so the, the way we think benefits us or disables us in some way. Completely. Because... Uh, we can only view, just going back to the to, to Dr. Joe's description, we, we view life through the lens of our beliefs. So regardless of what we're projecting, we will only view or have the experience on the wall that's l- limited to our beliefs. And our beliefs can limit us or our beliefs can expand us. It's up to us and it's up to us what we have the choice to decide which beliefs that we keep. The work of changing those beliefs may not always be easy, especially if they're really deeply ingrained. However, we do have the choice to decide which belief systems that we keep. With learning in this over 10 years, you kind of wish that you could just bite-size it and bypass the time and, and know everything you know shorter? No, because then I would have lost the journey. So the journey is as, as important as the knowledge and learning and energy. I think for me, who I became in the process of becoming is as important as who I am here today. So the leaps and bounds and the improvements and the expansion that I've had as a being going through the journey that brought me to where I am today has been imperative almost to my soul's experience here in this world. And that's what we're here to do. Life is for living. It's it's the objectives that I always push people to and the whole thing of holding intention. That's about navigating our way through. But navigating our way through is no 
you know, what's the point of that if we haven't actually enjoyed the journey? We haven't taken in the journey. That's like going to um, going to a fairground ride and just getting off at the end of every ride. Or going to the fairground and just kind of the whole point is to walk through and then come out at the end of the day. No, we're at the fairground ride to go on the rides, to enjoy them, to experience them, to have the adventure. Uh, and for me, the journey of getting to where I am today with its ups and its downs has all been part of that. Yeah, that analogy of a roller coaster is a, it's a good way to describe the, the journey. Do you feel that they kind of get confused about the journey and having it now? Some people do have, uh, uh, don't have the capacity for deferred gratification, for sure. And some people, on the, on the flip side, some people get so concerned with the journey that they don't actually get to, the de- get to a destination because the perpetual journey is it's like people that perpetually learn, 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 learn and never, never apply. So it's about finding a balance between the two, I think. Having the knowledge of the fact that we are here for the journey, we should expand into the journey, but not getting so caught up in the journey that we don't actually reach a destination. So there's definitely to be a balance between the two. You mentioned about capacity. Is that capacity towards the journey or capacity of knowledge or energy? Oh, I use that in terms of people's capacity for, for deferred gratification. So it's basically, it's a polite way of saying some people can't wait for things they need it now <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they don't they just basically they, they don't they're not able to wait for the good i mean when even if you look at infidelity in relationships a lot of the time it's because people can't wait for something later they need it now and that needing now gets them into a loop where they start making drastic choices now sometimes to their own detriment like you say i'll do it tomorrow i'll do it tomorrow what's happening there and then when the person said oh, i'll do this tomorrow I mean, there's so many different ways to look at that. For example, Gretchen Rubin in her book, The Four Tendencies, looks at how we deal with outside expectation. And so for some people, they don't get something done because they don't know how to create sufficient leverage over themselves to take action now. Some people may have that leverage to some extent, but don't know how to apply it. And some people just don't have a big enough why. And some people are just lazy and some people have a propensity to procrastination, but that generally is because they don't have a deep enough connection to what they're doing. So generally, if you have an alignment of your of some purpose to the outcome, you're operating in alignment with how you respond to outside expectations. So for example, if you need an accountability partner, you've got one. If you need a big enough um, pain or pleasure point, then you've got it. And you can take that leverage uh, and convert it into actually taking the action that you need to do. You know, there's a couple of ways to look at why people say tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. How does your day look from when you get up in the morning to when you go to bed? Uh, I personally get up at 3.45 in the morning. I normally use the bathroom. I pray. I meditate. I do kundalini yoga. I then journal. Uh, I watch my mind movie, which is uh, a visual a visual description of what I want my ideal life to look like, and that shifts as things show up for me. I don't turn my phone on until I've done that. Then I go and check sort of phone calls and emails and stuff. And then, depending on what day it is of the week, I've got tasks that I have blocked out in 30-minute blocks throughout the day. I've got check-in times where I, I check my energy levels during the day. I have a, a, I've a predetermined, a preset lunch break as well every day so I have time to to sit down and nourish myself I normally do some form of physical exercise Um, and then again depending on the day there's certain tasks I do on certain days of the week I've got coaching clients maybe recording podcasts may have interviews that's generally what my 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 Sunday through to Friday looks like what's a mind movie so mind movie is like a moving vision board like if you look at uh, the whole idea of a vision board you know my ideal life I want this 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 and this a mind movie is a is a bit is a, a video of that so it's a moving 
vision board. It's a really, really cool tool. I think it's mymovies.net, I think is the website. Natalie over there is amazing. She offers great support and gives you the tools to create that through the website. You can then download that video onto your phone or mobile device or even watch it through the website or on your computer. And it's just, it, it does the same thing as a um as a, as a visible but it's a moving representation so it's a great visualization tool which would you rather refer the mind movie or the vision board so with my coaching clients um in my transformational um 12-week program we, we go through three phases number one the first phase we do is we create an ideal life script so we're almost creating a true north for where we're moving forward with our life and we actually translate that we, we spend a whole month building that and once we have that description which we call the life script we translate that into a mind movie and that gives them a visual image to see every single day to point them in the direction of where they're going with their life now the cool thing with a mind movie is you can put subliminal messages in it you can put your favorite music so it raises your energy the moving pictures and images um, as opposed to a static vision board tend to have a better effect because it engages more of the brain and because it engages more of the brain it makes it a bit more effective than a static vision board when you say the brain, like the cerebellum or cerebrum or the brainstem, what, what lights it up? I don't know the science personally. If I had my friend Lisa was here, Lisa Marini, who's my brain coach, if she was here, she could probably tell you the specifics on which part of the brain it hits. I'm not qualified to answer that question from a scientific standpoint, unfortunately. With the mind movie, do you find it effective in your life? Yes, my mind movie, inevitably, the scenes from, it's crazy. Uh, myself and even some of my friends, one of my friends, Lubna, she's really great with this. You walk into a scene in your life and you literally see an exact representation of the picture in your mind movie. It's, it's ridiculous how it works. So it's a mixture of law of attraction, visualization. It's really a really, really powerful tool. And that's why we use it with the coaching to specifically map out our life script so that it shows up for us. With the meditation and journaling, does it the same time every morning or does it vary? No, I always I always start my practice um, by 4 a.m. If I don't need to use the bathroom, I'll start at 3.45. And sometimes um, I wake up without my alarm at 3.30 or, or other times and I get on with it. By 4 o'clock, you will always find me in meditation, yoga or or, or some other part of my, my morning regime. And what meditation do you practice? I actually got into meditation from doing Dr. Joe Dispenza's work. So in terms of guided meditation, it will be that inevitably that you'll find me practicing. However, I have been um, practicing silent meditation um, as part of my yoga practice. There's some meditations I've learned there. Uh, there's also a really cool app by a woman called Kelly Howe called Meditate.me. And that's got some really cool guided meditations on there as well. Because I've now got an increasing toolbox of meditation tools I can sort of tap into and pick from, I literally go with what feels right that day. It must be a pretty big toolbox. Well, it's been growing. <laughs> is there a particular meditation you like to use all the time, or is it just suck and see? Um, different time periods, I like to do different ones. Um, there was a period of time when there was one, a really great one that goes through your energy centers of your chakras and sort of really energizes and vibrates um, and get those operating at high vibrational frequency. Uh, there's a really, really cool one that works on something called heart coherence that sometimes I'm in the, in the mood to do. It, it just depends on where I'm at that day. If we're honest with ourselves, we're very rarely the same sort of state every, 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 every day. And so I honor that. I check in with myself and honor that and aim to aim to enter into a meditation practice that day that's in alignment with where I am at that day and with what I need for that day. Do you know why um, we're not the same self? Because we have different experiences. I mean, my philosophy that I practice 
as unrefined as it is, is that moment to moment, we are literally the accumulation of our reflection on the memories of our experiences up to that moment. And our experiences change on a daily basis. So moment to moment, we can evolve based on whatever experiences we've had in the preceding moments. And so as we have different experiences, and therefore have different memories of those and then have a different state of uh, a, a different reflection on them and we also have a different way different experiences can change how we look at past experiences as well and make us a different person and if we are energy beings as the science shows that we are and we have different experiences then our frequency which is a measurable thing will shift in alignment with those changes that are happening in our experiences so yeah we may have a rep repetition of experiences memories and therefore state of being for us a period of time but as we are social creatures and often interact with people places and things in our environment, the likelihood that we're going to remain completely static when there is all of that outside influence is very low. Do you go out into nature? Yes, I love being in nature. Before I practice meditation, one of the places that I got to that really quiet place was, for example, looking up at the stars or being near water. Yeah, nature has this amazing effect on us in some way. It's very nourishing if we're open to receiving it, love. Yeah, it's like food for the soul. Mm -hmm, definitely. You've mentioned that you have particular coaches. Are there coaches you kind of connect with or just kind of found that work for you no um both so i've, I've got a team of coaches that uh, coach beyond intention i personally only ever coach seven people at, the, at a time um i find that that's an that i found that to be an effective number of me being able to show up really deeply for my clients um but i have a team who are trained and certified to to teach my model the beyond intention model but then i have coaches that i look to for my own support to see my blind spots and to support me being the best version of myself and um, there's susan quist uh, i mentioned lisa marini who does who's my brain coach brenda florida um I've, I've got some really 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 amazing people who support me being just just fab um and i love them dearly how did you get into motivation speak uh i was already doing it informally it's great my so my speaking coach one of his things is you're everyone was born a speaker you know you just speak it just so it happens that what i have been speaking was was helping people inspiring and motivating them to be better versions of themselves as i said uh beyond intention is a model that i've been building up and creating for over a decade and over that time although it's been a personal tool it has been used to support and help other people i am decent on my feet i did do public speaking even from my days at secondary school um i've got no problem being on, on stage in front of people and it just so happened that there came a time when a, an alignment was made between the work I was doing in supporting people and actually having opportunity to do that in a formal way. Your website is Rima Dan. Where did that come yes. from? My catchphrase, my slogan is to dream with your eyes open. And the meaning behind that is that it's just it just alludes to the importance of action. Uh, there's more to it. There's obviously self-power and self-responsibility and choice. But dream with your eyes open essentially is, you know, dream and have great ideas and have great aspirations, but take action. And so all of my branding has been around the idea of dreaming with dream with your eyes open take action um, my most recent book is the dreamers manifesto which talks all about that it's available on amazon and other good stores and dream with dan i just wanted people to know that i'm here to support them my purpose my mission what i get up to do every day is to support them doing that dreaming with their, their eyes open uh, and dream with dan came from that in supporting key people, do you find that you get uh, kind of zapped at the end of the day of, of helping people? I guard my energy. I don't work with everyone. I've been known to give clients money back because there's just not a, a, vi a vibrational match between us. Um, you shouldn't feel zapped if you're doing something that brings you joy. You should feel nourished. Um, as a standard, you know, as standard, I'm, I'm nourished by the ability to support and help people. And if I am feeling zapped, then I'm not really going to be optimally positioned to do that. 
so nobody's being served. And so I don't generally find myself entering into activities that leave me zapped. When you say nourishing, is that like the practice you do, or with the vibration, or the person? I, I, just, I just feel good. I mean, okay. it feels good for me to support people, to witness their change, and to to help them with their transformation. Transformation. I, I get joy from that, and that joy nourishes me at a soul level. It makes me feel good. That that's what I meant by that. It's interesting how joy does that. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Like joy is happiness, so it changes yes. our frequency. It's kind mm-hmm. of kind of cool, you know. Yeah, definitely. Before you go to bed, do you have a particular process to kind of wind down for the end of the day to prepare for the next day mm-hmm. i generally start winding down about 9 nine thirty. so by that time I'll, st- I'll aim to stop doing deeply engaging mental activity so that i can slow down my brain um if i've had a particularly loaded day i may do an evening meditation as well if i for example had a, a, a challenging day I'm, i may go and do that also just to set me up for bed uh, i start to get some quiet time maybe play some nice music um i've been known to have a glass of wine around that time also just to just to chill out and unwind i journal before bed and sometimes i read get it into bed especially if i'm not especially tired getting getting into the late hour because i, I do get up very early getting up early you must find that like getting to bed at a particular time helps you to prepare for the next day it does but i nap i power nap during the day i power nap during the day and also if i say wrap up my practice by say about 5 five thirty, and i've got nothing on the cards till 9 10 in the morning and i've I've got space to do that and I'm tired still after practice and then I do sometimes go back to sleep. Well, getting up at that early in the morning, do you find it, it helps you be energised? Yes, definitely. By the time I finish, especially with um, with my yoga practice, I really feel really, really zingy in energy. My, my coach, Dawn, is amazing. She's given me some great tools and really has guided me into the journey of a relationship with Kundalini Yoga. And it's all about getting um, mastery over what in Kundalini Yoga, Yogi Bhajan teaches us of the 10 bodies. And uh, getting mastery over those really does get you really energized, has the energy flowing, upgrades the nervous system. So when I have done my practice, I'm generally speaking, very zingy and, and, and powered up for the day. What do you like about Kundalini Yoga? I love how it makes me feel. I love the benefits of it. I even see colors differently since I've practiced it. I literally have a, uh, an improvement in my meditation experience. My inner health feels better. Uh, it's great physical training as well. There are just so many benefits to it. So many benefits. If, if you could kind of look at yourself and, and kind of where you are now, where you're at maybe 10 years ago, is there anything you'd like to tell your younger self? It's okay, chill out. <laughs> You'll get there. And maybe start meditating earlier. Meditation's been a great a great supercharger. It would have been cool to start meditating sooner. It was the right time for me. Uh, the shifts have happened in my life since then. Now was the right time for it. Uh, I was ready now, I would say. I was just ready. And do you feel that people at a younger age should start learning this? Yes, definitely. Meditation is such a powerful tool such a powerful tool and I think it gets a bad rap I think it's important for people also to connect with the realization that there are different forms of meditation you can walk and meditate you can um, meditation is just connecting to that place within yourself that where your brain can shut off and you can just be yourself which is not your brain your mind is uh, is a tool but for so many of us we actually live there as if it's our home as opposed to something that should be inside our home which is our true self and finding a way to connect to that space like i said for me it was looking at the stars for, for very many years some people get into that space being in nature my dear friend faith who's also a coach of one of my team you know she, she loves to hike and spend time in nature and that gets her to that place for some people going for a run gets them that, to that place but it's about deliberately making your way to that place that's what i'd encourage people to do how does someone know that they're in that place 
it's like um, Margaret Thatcher, I think it was, her being powerful is like being a lady. If you have to ask if you are, then you're not. And uh, when you look at that space, when you get there, it's, it's irrefutable that you're there. You will never have to ask of whether you got there because you'll just feel that peace of being in that, that space. When you hear the word peace, what comes to your mind? When the signals are off and it's quiet. So you can have peace around a situation because you don't have a conflict around it. You don't have this noise. So peace for me is particular to a situation or circumstance, just being at rest and not having noise, not having resistance, not having, um, not having the chatter. That's what peace is. So in war, for example, peace is the absence of fighting. It's when the fighting stops. It's when you're at peace. We can say that sometimes we're at war with ourselves in our mind. And so peace is when that, that fighting stops. There's a stillness, I believe, that's associated with the idea of peace. Do you think with the world today, with so much noise, that peace has a huge importance in society? Mm, I think it's really important. And how can someone introduce it? Is it just meditation, prayer, all that kind of stuff? Or do they kind of have to go through their own self? I think it's really important to, to play with different tools and find what works for you. So in our workshops and events, we, we give people, um, some of our programs as well, we give people details of some tools that they can play with, but it's about finding what tool works for you. And that's investigating, that's experimenting and keeping a record. That's why journaling is really cool. You can keep a record. Hey, I did this this time and it didn't work. I did this time and it did work. I know, therefore, I should be doing this and not that. Some things work in different situations. Sometimes, you know, meditation isn't necessarily the best or the most convenient way to get yourself out of a funk. Maybe you need to put on your favorite song and dance until your bum hurts from shaking too much. It's about playing with different things and building a toolkit that works for you personally. What inspires you? My purpose inspires me on a daily basis. I know why I'm here. I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have a very clear vision of why I'm here. And that's proven to me literally on a daily basis by the transformation and change that I see in people's lives and the joy I get from doing that and the fact that I would not do anything else. Do you kind of feel like you got a, a second chance to rediscover yourself? I think I had the first chance to actually discover myself. I don't think I rediscovered it. I think I, I actually just discovered. And I think it's sad that so many people go through life operating on the basis of what other people told them they were supposed to be doing instead of finding it for themselves. With the avenue of spirituality, how do you view the, the soul? Is it another person of you or how do you view it? I'll be honest with you. I'm really playing with the idea of what this soul stuff is at the moment. I think there are many different descriptions and many different traditions. Unfortunately, many traditions are man-made and don't actually come from anywhere real. But in my personal opinion right now on the 16th of november 2018 at 11:43 in the morning pacific time i would say that my view is that given that this whole idea of separation really only exists at this measurable frequency of matter and that as we increase our vibrational frequency and return to the singularity that we find as we we move beyond the idea of this physical realm if there's singularity that means that there can be no separation and if as the soul is not something that we can measure physically as being physical matter then it must be a part of that metaphysical realm if you will and as such it must be a singularity and if it's a singularity then we can't separate my soul from your soul there would just be a soul and so as it stands right now my thoughts about this idea of a soul is that there is there is an integrable intangible thing that we are all a part of and a strand of and we experience that as separation here in three-dimensional matter but if we rise above that then we'll find that we're all this one singular soul and not separated at all that's my feeling right here right now May that change tomorrow? It may do. I'm feeling into it. I'm seeing how that feels. At, um, how that feels to me. 
how that benefits and serves me and how and how it works in serving other people to have a better experience on this adventure that we call life but I also think it's not so important to get so caught up in a lot of these metaphysical concepts because they don't really serve us on a day-to-day basis. My, my the, the name for my keynote in a lot of my corporate work is the pointlessness of purpose. And the meaning behind that is that purpose in and of itself doesn't mean anything unless it's put into practice. And the same can be said of all this talk of spirituality and spiritual practice and the soul and all this funky stuff. If we are not applying it and actually using it to better our lives on a daily basis, then what's the point? If I meditate for 20 hours a day, but in those four hours that I'm not meditating, I hate my life. And what was the point of me meditating for 20 hours? Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. It's like, mm. why drive the car if you can drive it if you know, around the world? Exactly. How do you apply the things of like metaphysics into the corporate world? By getting them to see that there is a, you know, I mean, the great thing is that a lot of new science is showing that some of these metaphysical concepts are actually now measurable. And the ancient wisdom really is just wisdom and is now being quantified in a scientific way. So a lot of the work, for example, David Baum in quantum physics, um, pioneers in terms of measuring a lot of this stuff, like my teacher, Dr. Joe Dispenza, this gives us a scope to actually start giving tangible, black and white, hands-on, you can feel it, you can touch it, results that people can see that this stuff works. So when you have those physical numbers and you can show people, hey, you can actually have more results and better work environment if your people are meditating because these are the results of what's happening in the brain when people are meditating you can't deny that the corporate training i'm doing this week we're going to be looking at for example introducing the tool of heart coherence which is great in terms of establishing uh, a feeling of unity in a collective of people so entering into heart coherence as a team before the start of the day will improve your communication for example and if the communication is better the vibration or the, the energy is better in the space they're going to be more productive and if they're more productive that adds to the bottom line of the business so these are all physical results that are seen from these quote-unquote metaphysical tools correct me if this is wrong but is the business world the three-dimensional and the spiritual world five-dimensional or is it the opposite it depends what you mean by the spiritual world. Are you talking about the world of spiritual practice like yoga and meditation or are you talking about the spirit world as in the spiritual dimension? The spiritual dimension, kind of like the soul. I asked this question, I did a, a workshop in Prescott, Arizona a couple of weeks ago and I asked the question, what does omnipresence mean? And the answer, of course, is that omnipresence means that, you know, something's everywhere. And so if we're looking at these singularity points, whether we call it spirit, God, the divine energy, whatever, is omnipresent, then there's nowhere it is not. And if there's nowhere it is not, then you cannot have a divided space between them. It's just one is a part of the whole, that's all. With the the presentations you give, do you bring the, the people that are attending to a certain vibration, or how does it work? It would depend on the nature. If we're doing a workshop, a one-day workshop, I'll be teaching them to get into that state by themselves, and we practice that during the day. When I was in Prescott, Arizona the other day, we actually all meditated together. The presentation was at a yoga studio, so everyone there was an avid meditator, and I was talking that day about how they can take power that they tap into with their spiritual practice and actually use it to generate practical results. Sometimes we do heart coherence exercise as part of the training because it's an integral part of what I teach in terms of clearing, which is step two of the Beyond Intention paradigm. So yes, sometimes we do that. All of my coaching clients, the first thing we do after we've done the pleasantries on a call is get into heart coherence. It's just an effective state of being to be in, to learn and to create change and transformation. Does energy affect how the way we learn? Answer me this. How do you understand energy in the context of that question? That helps us. 
if we go back to the the nature of reality or the reality of reality as i like to say everything comes down to energy because everything is pretty much energy so energy must affect the way we learn because we are energy and therefore the energy that we have or the energy that we are at the point of learning will affect our capacity to, to be an effective learner or not dan do you have anything coming up that you're very interested to to do in the next year we're starting to do weekend beyond intention retreats. We've got the first one, I think it's going to be February in Cabo San Lucas. We have one on the 1st and 2nd of June in Sedona. I'm there with my dear friend, Jess Bubako, talking about intuition and integrating that and just removing the mysticism around the idea of intuition and connecting with that and using it as an integral part of our daily regime and creating a 10 out of 10 life for ourselves. I'm doing a lot more keynote speaking next year. Uh, we also have a retreat beyond intention in Costa Rica at the end of August. Lots and lots of fun stuff happening next year. When you got diagnosed with Asperger, did, did that kind of piece a picture in your mind of how you felt or who you were or some way? My God, it was the, probably one of the most joyful days in my life. Because up until that time, I'd had severe chronic uh, general anxiety, social anxiety. I suffered from pretty much perpetual heart palpitations. I had no ability to interact really on a, a loving and genuine basis with people on a day-to-day basis because I just didn't understand social interaction. And I just thought I was awkward, but to the point of painfulness that it actually caused me problems with people. But having that framework and one of my skills being my ability to to take procedural or step-by-step processes and to integrate them and learn them really quickly has just enabled me to take what some might see as a curse and make it a gift because I just know about myself now and how to optimally use that to to be more effective in my everyday life. Dan, where can we find you? Dreamwithdan.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at DreamerCEO and I'm on Facebook, DMPOTB, or just search for my name. If you met someone on the street and you could give them one piece of advice, what would it be? You are the common denominator. Start with you. If there's anything that you want to see that in your life going forward, start with you as the common denominator and make the change in yourself. Dan, I want to say thank you so much for coming to the show and sharing guys share, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's honestly been my, my absolute pleasure and honor to talk to you and the listeners today. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sansit.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T.com. Join Sanseat Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.